Chapter 13 of Katrina by Robert Louis Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Wayne Cook. Chapter 13 Ghislaine Sands. I did not profit by Allen's pilotage as he had done by his marchings under General Cope, for I can scarce tell what way we went. It is my excuse that we travelled exceeding fast. Some parts we ran, some trotted, and the rest walked at a vengeance of a pace. Twice, while we were at top speed, we ran against country folk. But though we plumped into the first from round a corner, Alan was as ready as a loaded musket. "'Has ye seen my horse?' he gasped. "'Nay, man, I hadn't seen nae horse the day,' replied the countryman. And Alan spared the time to explain to him that we were travelling ride and tie, that our charger had escaped, and it was feared he had gone home to Linton. Not only that, but he expended some breath, of which he had not very much left, to curse his own misfortune and my stupidity, which was said to be its cause. "'Them that cannot tell the truth,' he observed to myself as we went on again, "'should be I mindful to leave an honest handy lee behind them. If folks didn't ken what you're doin', Davy, they're terrible taken up with it. But if they think they can, they care nae mair for it than what I do for peas porridge. As we had first made inland, so our road came in the end to lie very near due north. The old Kirk of Aberlady for a landmark on the left, on the right the top of the Berwick Law, and it was thus we struck the shore again not far from Dirleton. From North Berwick, west to Ghislaine Ness, there runs a string of four small islets, Craigleith, The Lamb, Fidra, and Ibera, notable by their diversity of size and shape. Fidra is the most particular, being a strange gray islet of two humps, made the more conspicuous by a piece of ruin. And I mind that, as we drew closer to it, by some door or window of these ruins, the sea peeped through like a man's eye. Under the lee of Fidra, there is a good anchorage in westerly winds, and there, from a far way off, we could see the thistle riding. The shore and face of these islets is altogether waste. Here is no dwelling of man, and scarce any passage, or at most of vagabond children running at their play. Ghislaine is a small place on the far side of the Ness. The folk of Durleton go to their business in the inland fields, and those of North Berwick straight to the sea-fishing from their haven, so that few parts of the coast are lonelier. But I mind, as we crawled upon our bellies, into that multiplicity of heights and hollows, keeping a bright eye upon our sides, and our hearts hammering at our ribs, there was such a shining of the sun and the sea, such a stir of the wind in the bent grass, and such a bustle of down-popping rabbits and up-flying gulls, that the desert seemed to me like a place alive. No doubt it was in all ways well chosen for a secret embarkation, if the secret had been kept. And even now that it was out, and the place watched, we were able to creep unperceived to the front of the sand-hills, where they looked down immediately on the beach and sea. 
But here Alan came to a full stop. Davy, said he, this is a kettle passage. As long as we lie here, we're safe. But I'm nan so muckle nearer to my ship or the coast of France. And as soon as we stand up and signal the brig, it's another matter. For where will your gentry be, think ye? Maybe they're no come yet, said I. And even if they are, there's one clear matter in our favor. They'll be all arranged to take us, that's true. But they'll have arranged for our coming from the east, and here we are upon their west. Ay, says Alan, I wish we were in some force, and this was a battle. We would have bonnily outmaneuvered then. But it isn't, David, and the way it is is a wee thing less inspiring to Alan Breck. I swither, Davy. Time flies, Alan, said I. I can that, said Alan. I can nothing else, as the French folks say. But this is a dreadful case of hides or tails. Oh, if I could but ken where your gentry were. Alan, says I, this is no like you. It's got to be now or never. This is no me, quoth he, sang Alan, with a queer face betwixt shame and drollery. Neither you nor me, quoth he, neither you nor me. Well, now, Johnny man, neither you nor me. And then, all of a sudden, he stood straight up where he was, and with a handkerchief flying in his right hand, marched down upon the beach. I stood up myself, but lingered behind him, scanning the sand hills to the east. His appearance was at first unremarked. Scrugal, not expecting him so early, and my gentry watching on the other side. Then they awoke on board the thistle, and it seemed they had all in readiness, for there was scarce a second's bustle on the deck before we saw a skiff put round her stern and begin to pull lively for the coast. Almost at the same moment of time, and perhaps half a mile away towards Gilnaynes, the figure of a man appeared for a blink upon a sandhill, waving his arms, and though he was gone again in the same flash, the gulls in that part continued a little longer to fly wild. Alan had not seen this, looking straight to seaward at the ship at Skiff. Edmund be as it will, said he, when I had told him. Will may yon bothy row, or my craig'll have to a thole a raxen. That part of the beach was long and flat, and excellent walking when the tide was down. A little cressy burn flowed over it in one place to the sea, and the sand-hills ran along the head of it like the rampart of a town. No eye of ours could spy what was passing behind there in the bents. No hurry of ours could mend the speed of the boat's coming. Time stood still with us through that uncanny period of waiting. "'There is one thing I would like to ken,' say Alan. "'I would like to ken these gentry's orders.' We're worth four hundred pounds, the pair of us. How if they took the guns to us, Davy? They would get a bonny shot from the top of that lang, sandy bank. Morally impossible, said I. The point is that they can have no guns. This thing has been gone about too secret. Pistols they may have, but never guns. I believe you'll be in the right, says Alan for all which I am wearing a good deal for yon boat. And he snapped his fingers and whistled to it like a dog.
It was now perhaps a third of the way in, and we ourselves already hard on the margin of the sea, so that the soft sand rose over my shoes. There was no more to do whatever but to wait, to look as much as we were able at the creeping nearer of the boat, and as little as we could manage at the long impenetrable front of the sand-hills, over which the gulls twinkled and behind which our enemies were doubtless marshalling. "'This is a fine, bright, collared place to get a shot in,' says Alan suddenly. "'And, man, I wish that I had your courage.' "'Alan!' I cried. "'What kind of talk is this of it? "'You're just made of courage. "'It's the character of the man, as I could prove myself, "'if there was nobody else.' "'And you would be the more mistaken,' said he. "'What makes the differ with me is just my great penetration and knowledge of affairs. "'But for all call dour deadly courage, "'I am not fit to hold a candle to yourself. "'Look at us two up here on the sands. "'Here am I, fair hatching to be off. "'Here's you, for all that I can, "'and two minds of it, whether you'll no stop. "'Do you think that I could do that, or would? "'No, me!' Firstly, because I haven't got the courage, and wouldn't dare. And secondly, because I am a man of so much penetration, and would see ye damned first. It's there you're coming, is it? I cried. Ah, man, Alan, you can wile your old wives, but you never can wile me. Remembrance of my temptation in the wood made me strong as iron. I have a tryst to keep. I continued. I am trysted with your cousin Charlie. I have passed my word. Brought rich that you can keep, said Alan. Ye'll just mistrist once, and for a while the gentry in the bents. And what far? He went on with an extreme threatening gravity. Just tell me that, my manny. Are you to be spirited away like Lady Grange? Are they to drive a dirk in your inside and bury you in the bents? Or is it to be the other way? And are they to bring ye in with James? Are they folk to be trusted? Would ye stick your head in the mouth of Sim Fraser and the other Whigs? He added with extraordinary bitterness. Alan, cried I, they're all rogues and liars, and I'm with ye there. The more reason there should be one decent man in such a land of thieves. My word is passed, and I'll stick to it. I said long sigh unto your kinswoman that I would stumble at no risk. Do you mind of that? The night red Colin fell, it was. No more I will then. Here I stop. Preston Grange promised me my life. If he's to be mansworn, here I'll have to die. A will, a will, said Alan. All this time we had seen or heard no more of our pursuers. In truth, we had got them unawares. Their whole party, as I was to learn afterwards, had not yet reached the scene. What there was of them was spread among the bents towards Gillane. It was quite an affair to call them in and bring them over, and the boat was making speed. They were besides but cowardly fellows, a mere leash of highland cattle thieves of several clans, no gentleman there to be the captain, and the more they looked at Alan and me upon the beach, the less, I must suppose, they liked the look of us. Whoever had betrayed Alan, it was not the captain. He was in the skiff himself, 
steering and stirring up his oarsmen like a man with his heart in his employ. Already he was near in and the boat securing. Already Alan's face had flamed crimson with the excitement of his deliverance. When our friends in the bents, either in their despair to see their prey escape them, or with some hope of scaring Andy, raised suddenly a shrill cry of several voices, the sound arising from what appeared to be a quite deserted coast was really very daunting, and the men in the boat held water instantly. "'What's this of this?' sings out the captain, for he was come within an easy hail. "'Friends of mine!' says Alan, and began immediately to wade forth in the shallow water towards the boat. "'Davy!' he said, pausing. "'Davy, are ye no coming? I am swear to leave ye.' "'Not a hair of me,' said I. He stood a part of a second where he was to his knees in the salt water, hesitating. "'He that will to copper, man to copper,' said he, and, swashing in deeper than his waist, was hauled into the skiff, which was immediately directed for the ship. I stood where he had left me, with my hands behind my back. Alan sat with his head turned, watching me, and the boat drew smoothly away. Of a sudden I came the nearest hand to shedding tears, and seemed to myself the most deserted, solitary lad in Scotland. With that I turned my back upon the sea and faced the sand-hills. There was no sight or sound of man. The sun shone on the wet sand and the dry. The wind blew in the bents, and the gulls made a dreary piping. As I passed higher up the beach, the sand-lice were hopping nimbly about the stranded tangles. The devil any other sight or sound in that unchancy place. And yet I knew there were folk there observing me upon some secret purpose. There were no soldiers, or they would have fallen on and taken us ere now. Doubtless there were some common rogues hired for my undoing, perhaps to kidnap, perhaps to murder me outright. From the position of those engaged, the first was the more likely, from what I knew of their character and ardency in this business. I thought the second very possible, and the blood ran cold about my heart. I had a mad idea to loosen my sword in the scabbard, for though I was very unfit to stand up like a gentleman blade to blade, I thought I could do some scathe in a random combat. But I perceived in time the folly of resistance. This was no doubt the joint expedient on which Preston Grange and Fraser were agreed. The first, I was very sure, had done something to secure my life. The second was pretty likely to have slipped in some contrary hints into the ears of Neil and his companions, and if I were to show bare steel I might play straight into the hands of my worst enemy and seal my own doom. These thoughts brought me to the head of the beach. I cast a look behind, the boat was nearing the brig, and Alan flew his handkerchief for a farewell, which I replied to with a waving of my hand. But Alan himself was shrunk to a small thing in my view, alongside of this pass that lay in front of me. I set my hat hard upon my head, clenched my teeth, and went right before me up the face of the sand wreath. 
It made a hard climb, being steep, and the sand like water underfoot. But I caught hold at last by the long bent grass on the bray top, and pulled myself to a good footing. The same moment men stirred and stood up here and there, six or seven of them, ragged like knaves, each with a dagger in his hand. The fair truth is, I shut my eyes and prayed. When I opened them again, the rogues were crept the least thing nearer without speech or hurry. Every eye was upon mine, which struck me with a strange sensation of their brightness, and of the fear with which they continued to approach me. I held out my hands empty, whereupon one asked with a strong highland brogue if I surrendered. Under protest, said I, if ye can what that means, which I misdoubt. At that word they all came in upon me like a flight of birds upon a carrion, seized me, took my sword and all the money from my pockets, bound me hand and foot with some strong line, and cast me on a tussock of bent. There they sat about their captive in a part of a circle, and gazed upon him silently like something dangerous, perhaps a lion or a tiger on the spring. Presently this attention was relaxed. They drew nearer together, fell to speech in the Gaelic, and very cynically divided my property before my eyes. It was my diversion in this time that I could watch from my place the progress of my friend's escape. I saw the boat come to the brig and be hoisted in, the sails fill, and the ship pass out seaward behind the isles and by North Berwick. In the course of two hours or so, more and more ragged highlandmen kept collecting. Neil among the first, until the party must have numbered near a score. With each new arrival there was a fresh bout of talk, that sounded like complaints and explanations. But I observed one thing. None of those who came late had any share in the division of my spoils. The last discussion was very violent and eager, so that once I thought they would have quarreled, on the heels of which their company parted, the bulk of them returning westward in a troop, and only three, Neil and two others, remaining sentries on the prisoner. I could name one who would be very ill-pleased with your day's work, Neil Duncanson, said I, when the rest had moved away. He assured me in answer that I should be tenderly used, for he knew he was acquaint with the lady. This was all our talk, nor did any other son of man appear upon the portion of the coast until the sun had gone down among the highland mountains, and the gloaming was beginning to grow dark, at which hour I was aware of a long, lean, bony-like Lothian man of a very swarthy countenance that came towards us among the bents on a farm-horse. "'Lads!' cried he. "'Has ye a paper like this?' and held up one in his hand. Neil produced a second, which the newcomer studied through a pair of horn spectacles, and saying all was right, and we were with the folk he was seeking, immediately dismounted. I was then set in his place, my feet tied under the horse's belly, and we set forth under the guidance of the lowlander. His path must have been very well chosen, for we met but one pair, a pair of lovers, the whole way, and these, perhaps taking us to be free traders, fled on our approach. 
we were at one time close at the foot of berwick law on the south side at another as we passed over some open hills i spied the lights of a clocken and the old tower of a church among some trees not far off but too far to cry for help if i had dreamed of it at last we came again within sounds of the sea there was moonlight though not much and by this i could see the three huge towers and the broken battlements of Tantalon, that old chief place of the red douglases the horse was picketed in the bottom of the ditch to graze and i was led within and forth into the court and thence into the tumble-down stone hall here my conductors built a brisk fire in the midst of the pavement for there was chill in the night my hands were loosed i was set by the wall in the inner end and the lowlander having produced provisions i was given oatmeal bread and a pitcher of french brandy this done i was left once more alone with my three highlandmen they sat close by the fire drinking and talking the wind blew in by the breeches cast about the smoke and flames and sang in the tops of the towers i could hear the sea under the cliffs and my mind being reassured as to my life and my body and spirits wearied with the day's employment i turned upon one side and slumbered i had no means of guessing at what hour i was wakened only the moon was down and the fire was low my feet were now loosed and i was carried through the ruins and down the cliffside by a precipitous path to where i found a fisher's boat in a haven of the rocks this i was had on board of and we began to put forth from the shore in a fine starlight End of chapter thirteen